You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. I want to talk in this episode about thought. It was, I believe, Jean-Paul Sartre who said, I think, therefore I am. But as modern neuroscience moves our understanding of how the mind works forward in leaps and bounds, it turns out that the great philosopher wasn't just wide of the mark. He had it completely wrong. Because the way in which the human mind works dictates that on a day-to-day basis we think in loops of thought that take us away from the reality of the here and now. So when I think I am not, I'm certainly not present, I certainly haven't turned up to my own life, in effect what I'm doing is existing. I was going to say there's no such thing as a good thought, but that's not true because I want to distinguish between the different kinds of ordinary everyday thought that we have in our own head. All this springs from an email I got about an hour ago where somebody who was going through one of my free training uh, programs at the moment said to me, I have been going around in circles for the last couple of years and I need to get off this train of thought. And as I said to him, you get off that train of thought at the next stop. And that next stop is where you put your best foot forward, step out onto the platform that provides you with the foundation to start living your life to the full because it enables you change how you think. Now, I didn't say that you need to stop thinking. That would be totally impractical, and actually it would be dangerous. We need to change how we think. The thoughts that we have in our head fall into largely three categories. And By the way, I'm talking about the normal, everyday, looped thoughts that we have. They are useful thoughts, and an example of a useful thought is knowing how to tie my shoelaces or knowing how to dress myself. Now, you might say to yourself, that's not a thought. They're not thoughts. But actually that is what they are because all the thoughts that are stored in what psychology calls our stored knowledge are actually stored as little snapshots. We've talked about psychological snapshots before. That's what they actually are. They're literally pictures that I take, you know, as a four or five-year-old when I'm learning how to tie my shoelaces, or as a two or three year old when I'm learning how to dress myself. Indeed, we have really useful thoughts, thought programs, if I can use that phrase, in our heads that enable us to get from A to B on an ordinary everyday basis. You have a thought program that enables you walk. Yes, one might assume that because of evolution and the fact that we started walking on two feet a couple of hundred thousand years ago, you might think to yourself that that is something that comes naturally. No, 
We learn how to walk by taking a psychological snapshot of how to walk. Evolution has seen to it that we are delivered. It's like a car being delivered, pre-wired for sound. But you actually have to go and set up the sound yourself. Evolution has seen to it that we walk on two feet, that we don't walk on all fours. That is how you are pre-wired when you are delivered. But you still have to actually learn how to do it, and we all know that that is done through trial and error. What precipitates the trial that leads to us walking? Well, there I am, crawling around on all fours, looking up at my mammy or daddy, impressive people, who are moving around gracefully on two feet. And I say to myself, oh, that's a far better way of getting around. I'll take a psychological snapshot of it. And that is the psychological snapshot I will use to get up on my two feet, to fall over, to get up on my two feet again, and eventually get to the point where I can put one foot in front of the other and walk like my mammy or daddy. That's an interesting one, because there's quite a bit of research that shows that, generally speaking, males walk with the same characteristics as the way in which their fathers walk, and that females walk with the same gait, the same way of walking, as their mothers walk. Because we copied it, took a photograph of it, put it into our stored knowledge, and now when we put one foot in front of the other, we use that thought as a means of putting one foot in front of the other, as a means of making it through the day. This is how our stored knowledge actually works. And as an aside, Actually, it's an important aside. I was talking to a client a couple of years ago who went on a weekend course on how to run properly. The course was given by an Olympic gold medal winner. But actually, that's not what the course was about. The course was about how to put one foot in front of the other because no one taught us how to walk properly. We picked it up by taking a photograph of somebody that was impressive to us. We took a photograph of them walking. They, in turn, had done that when they were 12 months old as well. There are all kinds of posture problems and back problems and knee problems and hip problems that are all the result of us making it through the day, putting one foot in front of the other, using a photograph, using a bit of our stored knowledge. Now, obviously, that is a useful thought to have, a useful thought program, if I can use that phrase again. So first of all, we have thought programs that will enable us to make it through the day. And you must remember that evolution has seen to us that that is the primary way in which our brains are wired. We have useless thoughts, the way in which your mind gets distracted. Now, we all know the way in which our minds can, like a scattergun, go all over the place. And, and you know, uh, one, one client says to me that she suffers from shiny object syndrome. She could be doing something and suddenly she's distracted by something else. But the actual matter of the fact is that if there is nothing around to distract us, our own thoughts 
are very good at distracting us. Again, for evolutionary reasons. I mean, in evolutionary times, there was little merit in me sitting quietly and pondering the meaning of life for the simple reason that I might get into such deep thought in exploring that particular subject that I would not see the bushes rustling, I wouldn't see the tiger coming at me, and I would be tonight's dinner for the tiger. We're actually wired to be distracted by our own thoughts. Indeed, research done by Stanford University quite a number of years ago at this stage, because you wouldn't get away with this research from an ethical perspective these days, research found that if somebody was locked in a windowless room for a period of time, it would take only 12 or 13 hours for the individual in question to disintegrate into a negative thinking gibbering idiot. We always think the worst. And that is another point that we need to bear in mind when we think about thought. Because I've mentioned useful thoughts. We're now into the realms of useless thoughts. Research shows that in the ordinary course of our everyday lives, we will always pick negative thoughts over positive thoughts. Let, let's stray into, in, into the world of toxic thoughts for a moment, but I'll come back to those in a minute. But let's stray there for just a moment, because, for example, you might have a negative thought about yourself. And that negative thought enables you stay on your toes during the course of the here and now. Be on guard during the course of the here and now. And being on guard during the course of the here and now is obviously a key survival mechanism. But they are, in this day and age, in the realms of useless thought or heading for toxic thought. So useless thought, for a start, is stuff that has nothing to do with the here and now or indeed nothing much to do with anything. Toxic thought is stuff that is actually getting in your way moment to moment, day to day. Thoughts like, oh, I'm suffering from low self-esteem. Got an email on that earlier. I need to boost my self-confidence. Got an email on that earlier as well. But even littler thoughts like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. You push your foot in it. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. You looked stupid. Or you should have said something because saying nothing made you look stupid. Or I wish I wasn't as shy as I am in meeting new people. Or I, I wish I could be more assertive. Or I wish I could be this, that or the other. And wishing that you are this, that, or the other, is actually distancing you further from the reality of the moment. So you're better off not thinking those thoughts at all. Now, I said earlier on that we need to change how we think. We can't stop thinking altogether for the simple reason, as we've already explored. There are some thoughts that enable us make it through the day. Many of the 70,000 thoughts that we have rattling around in our head, we referred to that in a previous episode, and indeed the research in that regard comes from the Neural Lab in UCLA. Many of the thoughts rattling around in our own head during the course of an ordinary day ensure that we make it through the day, but we make it through the day by staying in our little box. And, and you know, 
that is why positive thinking is just as bad as negative thinking. You might be forgiven for thinking. <laughs> you might be forgiven for uh, reflecting on what we're saying here. You might be forgiven for thinking that it is negative thoughts that actually get in the way of our living our lives. But it is positive thoughts too. Because positive thoughts are only thoughts. In other words, what I'm actually saying to you is you have perceived inadequacies, the toxic thoughts we referred to a moment ago. You know that you're not perfect. You know that you have things that you would like to change about yourself. Or you think you know. You also know that you have strengths or you think you have strengths. Let's think about what we were talking about a moment ago, how we learned to walk. We learned everything we know about ourselves by taking the same kind of psychological snapshots. So if somebody was mean to me when I was three, I took a psychological snapshot of how bad I felt about myself in those circumstances. By the way, I also took a psychological snapshot of the kind of person who is mean to me. And later on in life, I would use that psychological snapshot to make up my mind about whether I like or dislike somebody new as I meet them. We'll come back to that in a, a, another episode. Let's stick with the thoughts about ourselves for now. I have perceived strengths and I have perceived weaknesses. They are all perceptions. They are all thought programs, the snapshots for which I took when the original event happened that made me feel good or bad about myself. As we said a minute ago from Stanford's research, we know that when we are on automatic pilot, we always choose negative over positive thoughts. We will always choose thoughts that are directly related to how other people think as well. In other words, if you think about the 70,000 thoughts in your head, it's like a pyramid of thoughts. And right at the bottom of that pyramid of thoughts are the thoughts we share with the culture in which we grew up or the kind of education we got. So for example, I grew up in Ireland in the late 1950s, the early 1960s. I grew up with a series of psychological snapshots about God and religion, about the Roman Catholic Church, about how Irish people were different, for example, from English people, and all that good stuff, or actually all that bad stuff. So I have a shared base of programs with an awful lot of people in, for example, if we keep stick to the example we're talking about here, Ireland of the 1960s. Above that, I have a layer of thoughts in relation to the developmental niche, is what psychology calls it, the manner in which I grew up in a family unit 
So I'm talking about the influence that my parents had on me, over and above the cultural influence, and I'm talking about the influence my siblings would have had on me and my friends when I was two or three or four years of age. I have those thoughts as well. And they generally are shared thoughts, shared programs, by virtue of the fact that I wouldn't be friends with somebody who didn't have those shared programs with me. My parents, for example, would have made sure that we didn't stick together. You know, as somebody said to me quite recently, in relation to the troubles in Northern Ireland in the 1960s and 70s that little kids kids played together until one or other of the parents said uh, you're a Catholic and she's a Protestant and you shouldn't be playing together. This is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. So at the very base of my pyramid of my belief system, if I can put it like that, are my cultural beliefs, then my developmental niche beliefs, then my educational beliefs, because I was educated in a particular way. And we're going constantly going up the pyramid until I get to the top of the pyramid. And at the top of the pyramid are the photographs and the thought programs that are directly related to who I think I am what I think I am capable of and what I think I am not capable of. In other words, my strengths are as much an illusion as my weaknesses. None of it is real. All of it has been learned with one sole purpose in mind, to enable me make it through the day. So regardless of whether I'm thinking positive thoughts or negative thoughts in relation to me and my capabilities and how I behave myself in the here and now, regardless of any of that, my thoughts keep me in my little box. Now, there are very good evolutionary reasons for that, because if I strayed from the herd, and that would be the herd of my friends and family and the cultural uh, milieu in which I, I, I grew up, if I stray from the herd, I'm putting myself in harm's way. If I am out on my own with nobody around me, I'm far more likely to be picked off by a man or woman-eating tiger. So there's a very good evolutionary reason as to why I don't just think these thoughts that enable me make it through the day. I think largely the same thoughts as the herd that I hang out with too. It, the, the, the safety in numbers. Ultimately though, my thoughts create a prison for me. And an awful lot of people who will learn things like, for example, self-affirmation, which by the way doesn't work, or think happy thoughts, think positive thoughts, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment. People who are thinking positive thoughts or happy thoughts, who have not learned how to think differently, are basically just decorating their prison cell. You see, the point is that we are actually wired, as I said, to stay with the herd. We're wired to stay within our box. We are wired to stay within our comfort zone, regardless of how uncomfortable that comfort zone might actually be. In other words, we're wired to not just make it through the day, but kind of delude ourselves that we're happy just making it through the day, that my prison cell looks nice and it feels nice, without realising the door to the prison cell isn't locked. All I have to do is open the door and walk outside and quote a client of mine, get out of my own way. As this lady said to me, 
once you get out of your own way, life is so much easier. And it's not just so much easier, a whole new vista of possibilities opens to you. Because once you get out of your own way, once you park your useless thoughts and your toxic thoughts, once you park those, you're in a situation where you can begin to experience your life. You see, the problem with the way in which the normal mind operates is that we experience what is going on through our five senses. We take what our five senses tell us and we pass it through the filter of our stored knowledge. That's how we make sense of the here and now. Now in the process, obviously, because our stored knowledge are thought programs that we learned when we were young and impressionable, in the process we make nonsense of the here and now and we really don't have a clue as to what is actually going on. But the result, the upshot of that is that you create a life that you don't really want. You, you create a life on a train of thought that ensures that, you know, your experience one day is much the same as any other day. And you end up, like my friend that I mentioned at the start of this episode, who is on a train of thought, you end up kind of expecting that because you've had so many of these same, same, everyday, normal experiences, you can assume that your past experiences are a guide to your future experiences. But that's not true. That's completely the wrong way of looking at things by virtue of the fact that your past experiences have all been filtered through repetitive looped thought programs. You need to change how you think. We said at the beginning of today's episode that if I'm thinking, I am not. It's the direct opposite of what Jean-Paul Sartre said. I think, therefore, I am. We need to change how we think. We change how we think by developing our ability to experience what our five senses are telling us without adding our own stored knowledge. You will know from previous episodes that you do that by developing your ability to be present through practicing mindfulness. The University of Massachusetts Medical School defines the practice of mindfulness as deliberately paying an unusual amount of conscious attention to the reality of the moment non-judgmentally. Non-judgmentally refers to the thought programs that we automatically, normally apply to make sense of what is going on. We therefore, in applying those thoughts, think we know what's going on. As a result of our thinking we knowing what's going on, we react. That's automatic based on our thought programs and how I feel about myself and the low self-esteem or lacking self-confidence that we talked about earlier on. As a result of that, that dictates how we behave with other people who are similarly blinded to what is going on. We're not actually operating in a fog of thought. We're blind 
bumping into the same obstacles day in, day out, because we haven't opened our eyes. As a result of this automatic behaviour and reaction, we create our experience of reality. Why wouldn't you stop and reflect on the, I was going to say possibility, but it's a scientific fact, that you could actually create a different version of reality by changing how you think? I keep referring to changing how you think, and really, the more we develop our ability to be present through practicing mindfulness, the more we begin to understand in real time the difference between the thoughts that are useful, like dressing ourselves, I can do that on automatic pilot, I don't need to, 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 to deliberately feel the fabric of my clothing as I, as I pull on my shirt. Uh, except I might have chosen it as an exercise in mindfulness, by the way. But, but let's get back to the point I'm making. The more I develop my ability to be present by practicing mindfulness, the more I develop my ability to be able to distinguish those thoughts to which I should give my attention and those thoughts to which I should not give my attention. And this is the essence of how we need to think. Your life, the reality of the here and now, is like a clear blue summer's sky. The thoughts on a loop that whiz through our head every day are like little white fluffy clouds. They just drift by. They drift by until you give them your attention. When you give one of these thoughts your attention, that cloud stops in the sky and it grows, and it gets darker, and it blocks the light out of your life, and it rains on your parade. We need to know which thoughts we should give our attention to, and those clouds that we should let simply drift by. Because there is one fundamental truth in relation to life in general, and thought in particular. Everything passes. Let the white fluffy clouds pass by developing your ability to pay attention to the moment. The really interesting thing about developing your ability to pay attention to the moment is, as I said a moment ago, you will begin to be able to distinguish the difference between useful thoughts, useless thoughts like distractions. You, you let them pass too, by the way and what we have described as toxic thoughts. What the latest research in modern neuroscience tells us is the more you develop your ability to be present, the sooner you get to the point where the toxic thoughts never occur to you anymore. They never even drift into your skyscape. Now, that's not a nice idea. It's not a nice thought, which would be useless. It is a question of scientific fact. Practicing a mindfulness restructures the subcortical brain in a way that precludes what psychology calls self-referential thought coming into your consciousness at all. Now, somebody said to me recently when I said that, did you say self-reverential thought? I said, no, 
I said self-referential thought. The thought that says, oh, how am I doing? Oh, I'm not doing well. Oh my God, I'm suffering from low self-esteem. Oh, I need to boast, bolster my self-confidence. I need someone else's approval because I don't approve of myself. All the normal toxic thoughts that we need to let drift by. You need to let all those white clouds drift by so there's loads and loads of light in your life. And the more light there is in your life, the more you'll begin to realize that you can actually create the kind of life you would really, really like to have. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-hall.com 